Okay, tonight we'll be reading step three, starting on page 58 of the fourth edition of the Big Book. This week, the Common Solution Group would like to introduce our speaker, Chad P. from Ocean Grove, New Jersey. And with that, we'll turn our meeting over to Chad. Hi, everybody. My name is Chad Payne. I'm alcoholic. I've been sober since April the 2nd of 2003. Um, my home group is the primary purpose group online. If you guys are interested in checking that out, um, let me know, let Steve know, he can get a hold of me and we'll get you the information. But we meet Wednesday nights online, that's the one that I'm involved in. And uh, we study the big book very slowly, line by line, uh, very thoroughly. And the interesting thing that we do a little bit different is we try to leave our experience out of it as much as possible and focus our discussion on what the text is saying to get to know the book better so that we can more effectively carry the message and learn you know, better how to do what it says. We believe experience is the lifeblood of AA, but it's just one meeting where we really try to truly discuss the book, you know, and, and kind of leave that out of it. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Um, Steve, thanks for asking me, man. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. It's an honor to get to speak anywhere in, uh, in AA. I don't know who to look at. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, hi, Raquel. I see you waving. Um, I don't, uh, it's an honor to get to speak anywhere in AA, but especially here, because I know that you guys are really um, enthusiastic about this program and about this book and these steps. So, so to get to be here, it makes me nervous, too, you know, because it's not like I'm talking to people that don't know anything. You know, I got I to make sure what I'm saying is on point. I did try to kind of consider it uh, this afternoon and, and kind of where I wanted to go with this. Um, I, I brought Tim with me. Tim, uh, it's interesting, Tim. Uh, just celebrated 11 years, and he said, it's really cool. On my, uh, on, on my day that I have 11 years, I open up Insight Timer and meditate, and I have 1,100 days straight of meditation. And I was like, well, that is cool. 11 years, 1,100 days. That's really cool. I have like 51 days, and I thought I was really kicking ass, you know. 1,100 <laughs> is pretty impressive, but, but yeah. Anyway, I wanted to introduce Tim. Just, uh, I just started working with him, and Tim's real active. He's in AA, but he's also real active in CA. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes I get the question, because of some of my history, um, we've got an addict in our meeting. Do you know of any good Narcotics Anonymous meetings? And I got nothing against Narcotics Anonymous except for one thing, and that's that they don't use the big book. Mostly they don't. All that I know of don't use the big book. There is a fellowship around in this area that does use the big book where drug addicts can go and still get Bill's message straight out of the book, and that's Cocaine Anonymous, and it's not just for cocaine addicts. It's for any, any uh, drug addicts. So I just kind of want to throw that out there in case, because it's a common thing that we run into in, in AA is what to do with the drug addict in the meeting. Do we tell him, stay here and say you're alcoholic, or do we send him to NA? Well, we have, we have another option, too, that, that's out there for that. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, okay, well, I got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. Um, on page 58, how it works, I'm not going to read all this. Charlie calls this the most read, least listened to portion of the book. I just love that. Uh, but to me, what this first part of the book is saying, I have it written up here on the top. If I could summarize it, um, it says, Be honest, fearless, thorough, let go of old ideas, abandon yourself, and go all in. And what makes me ready to go all in at this point is that I'm clear now on a couple of things. I'm clear on what the problem is, and I'm clear on what the solution is. And now we're ready to go all in. This is where the program of action starts. And that's what came together that made AA a special program, is an understanding of the problem, alcoholism as an illness. And then an understanding of the solution, a spiritual awakening, is the way out. 
And then they didn't stop there. Because, you know, to tell you the truth, I read a lot of outside spiritual literature. And I'll be getting into a book like, say, The Power of Now, for instance. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, oh, he gets it, man. He's talking about the ego. I get it, man. I have that problem. Really? And he's like, okay, and the solution is to be present and live in the now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, what do you, you want me to do? What? What is it? I don't even, I can't do that. The big book doesn't stop there. They give us a real simple program of action that any idiot like me, and not you guys, you guys are not, but I am, I can do this and get this result. And, and I don't even have to believe in any certain thing. I mean, I worked the steps without believing in God. I was willing to believe in God, but I wasn't. And I still had an experience with God. And I still continue to, to have that experience today, though my beliefs have changed. But, but, uh, but you know, it's amazing how well it works. So, so that's what kind of came together. So this is where this program of action started. And then here on page 59, he gives kind of an outline of the steps. And we have it hanging back here. And sometimes I think that... Hmm, I've been to places before where the steps and the traditions are hanging on the wall, and that's the only experience members of the group have with the steps. If you ask them what is the first step, they quote it off the wall and they 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 you know have it memorized because they read this part of the book, but they don't they don't know about physical allergy, mental obsession, spiritual there's a lot of that in NAA and I think that if Bill knew that there would be so much AA that relied on this want the page 59 and the top of 60 as their description of the steps you know he no that's not i mean there's a lot more to it than just that and especially with the third step you know what i'll be talking about tonight there's much more involved than making a decision i mean i've got to know a lot going into that decision to really be able to make that decision so that's kind of what what bill lays out here um so he goes on to kind of reassure us, hey, look, this is the program, but none of us do it perfectly. Don't worry. These are guys of spiritual progress, not perfection. You know, we're not saints. But then he, he talks about this, this A, B, and C. And when I'm moving into this, um, I need to be clear on steps one and two before I move into step three. I need to be clear that what it means, what powerlessness really means. I need to be clear on the hopelessness of the first step. I need to understand that, that pretty simple for, for most of us, that once I start to drink, I don't know what's going to happen next. Most of us can get down with that real quickly. The part that we tend to struggle with is the powerlessness over the first drink. And, and you'll hear it a lot when people say things like, um, like, like come, uh, coming in off a relapse and, and they'll say, yeah, man, you know, I, this happened and this happened and this happened. And then, you know, man, I just made the decision to, to pick up a drink. And I think we say that with good intentions. We say that because we're trying to take responsibility for what we did. But the truth is, that's not a real decision. The decision happened long before when I decided to stop doing this program when I decided to stop being honest with my sponsor, when I decided to, uh, to stop making my amends, when I decided to stop doing prayer and meditation, you know, when I decided to stop carrying this message. That's where the decision happened. Picking up the drink wasn't a decision at all. It was just a matter of time. For an alcoholic, I don't take the drink. The drink takes me. 
You know, and that's the hopelessness of alcoholism, that if I don't work this program, I will drink again. It's just a matter of time. So then what's the answer to that? It's spiritual in nature. It's a spiritual program. There's not a spiritual part of AA. AA is a spiritual program. Everything we do is spiritual. We meet in a spiritual sense with each other and connect spiritually. We work these steps spiritually and we help others spiritually. I don't help you by giving you advice. I help you by telling you what I did to connect with this power. And that's how we have. So everything that we do is spiritual in nature. And that's the solution to alcoholism is to have this experience. So then we're moving into this third step because I'm not going to be interested in what we're talking about here if I don't have a clear understanding of the powerlessness and hopelessness of the first step and that the only solution is a spiritual awakening. If I don't grasp that, I'm not interested in your talk of self-will. Nobody walks, we, we walk into AA and we know we're pretty selfish, but none of us walk in here and saying, oh my God, guys, please help me with my selfishness. It's killing me. Or none of us walk in here and say, I'm really struggling. I want to have a spiritual. We walk in here, we say, I'm just, drinking's killing me. Somebody help me. Right? So what's this even got to do with drinking? And I had that question. Um, you remember, you know, Ernie, one of, yeah. So we, he's at the table. This, uh, one of our friends from Canada is at the table. And, and I, I had just gotten to Austin. I'd really gotten involved in, in, in going out and getting sponsees and getting real active in it and talking to guys. And I kept getting this question from these newcomers out at Austin Recovery and all these places. And they would say, Chad, you're talking about this selfishness and, and, and running the show and the actor and the delusion and all this stuff. But what's this got to do with drinking? I have to check with Charlie on that one. Don't really know. Somehow I missed that, you know. So we're sitting around the table and I asked, Ernie's there with us. And, and I said, Ernie, what's this, any of this got to do with drinking though? And he said, nothing. It's got nothing to do with drinking. And then it kind of hit me. And what I realized is, yeah, it's got nothing to do with drinking, but it has a lot to do with the solution. The solution is a spiritual awakening. That's what I've got to have to overcome alcoholism. But I can't. can't have a spiritual awakening. And the reason I can't have a spiritual awakening is because I live on the basis of self-will. I'm trying to run the show. I can't have God while I'm playing God. This is what keeps me from being able to experience the only solution Alcoholics Anonymous has to offer, which is a spiritual awakening. So it turns out it's pretty important. So what does it stay here? Well, it gives me this summary, A, B, and C, of steps one and two. We were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism and that God couldn't. What if he were sought? And it says being convinced we were at step three. And most of you probably know this, but I just love this. In the original manuscript, what Bill wrote right here, and if you don't know it, the original manuscript was Bill's version of the big book before he passed it over to the rest of AA and said, here, what do you think? And here's what it said in the original manuscript after A, B, and C. It said, if you are not convinced of these three vital issues, you ought to reread the book to this point or else throw it away. That's pretty cool, right? You know, and I get it why they took that out. You know, the first time I'd have read that, reading the book, I might have been like, fine, I'll throw it away. You know? But that's how important it is that we understand what's going on in steps one and two. And that's why the book spends... 59 pages getting up to this point focused on steps one and two. Well, what is this step three? We decide to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood Him. And, and then Charlie likes to call these a couple of fair questions. And it's interesting because these were the questions I had 
The meetings that I went to early on, I just went to a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings. I had no program in place. I had no sponsor. I had no idea. I heard people talking about working the steps. And as soon as they would talk about work, it was like on, you know, like Charlie Brown where the teacher, wah, wah, wah. That's what I would hear. You know, I wasn't interested in that stuff because after all, I was sober. I didn't need that. I'm going to meetings. And I, but I would hear people say something that really bugged me. They would say things like, let go and let God. Or I see that you have a problem here. You know, you're getting a divorce or your dog's died or whatever it may be. Just turn that over to God. Take your problem and turn it over to God. I remember thinking, I don't even believe in God. And it makes no sense. What are you talking about? Like, how am I supposed to... What do you mean and how am I supposed to do that? Like, can you give me an address and I'll run by God's house and say, here's my problem. You know? It's just nonsense to me. And then one day I'm reading the book later on in recovery and I'm looking at this and saying, just what do we mean by that and just what do we do? Why didn't they point that out to me? You know, that's what I was wanting to know. What do you mean by... Well, then here we're going to talk about it. What do we mean by that and what do we do? And it gives me a requirement. The first requirement. i got to be convinced that, that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Well, guess what? I'm not convinced of that. But thank God there's a couple more pages here to help convince me of that. Because before I can move on, I've got to become at least somewhat convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Now, I can tell you what I was convinced of, that my life, the way it had been going, could hardly be a success. But any life, like Oprah's life, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool life, right? Bill's life, that, you know... Any life can hardly be a success on this basis of self-will. So we're going to have to go a little deeper into that before I can understand what they're talking about here. And he says when we're living on that basis, we find we're in collision a lot. And when I'm reading this to a newcomer, they usually get this part. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm in collision with something or somebody. But, and then it says even though our motives are good. Yeah, I think I have good motives. You know, I really do. I'm not out to hurt anybody. Sometimes I step on people's toes a little bit because I'm you know, trying to get what, what I need for this to go the way it needs to go. And I'm in a desperate situation. But for the most part, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I find myself in collision a lot. And some of us are the people who it's like self is really turned out here. Right? And those are the people that you see in traffic and you see, you know, and, all, and they're like, God, dang, this... And some of us, it's more turned within. It doesn't make one of us more or less selfish than the other. We just kind of focus it in different places. So if you're one of those who is, it's where it's more turned inward, well, then maybe you find that you're in collision with yourself, in collision with life a lot. And that's also available. And it's no less painful. Okay, so he goes on to talk about living by self-propulsion and the actor who wants to run the show, the actor who's playing the director. And what he's talking about here is that, that what I do as I go through life is I try to, I try to arrange life to suit me. I have, some, I, I have this sick relationship with life. Um, it's like, as a human, I'm supposed to have a relationship with life. But I don't have that. What I have is a relationship with how I think life should be. I think I know what's best in most instances. I think I know what's best and how everything should go. I have an opinion on all of it. I have preferences on all of it. There's nothing wrong with preferences and opinions, but they get way out of hand with a guy like me. 
And so rather than having a relationship with life, what I have a relationship with is how I think life should be. This universe has been here for 14 billion years, according to current science, since the Big Bang happened, whatever that means. 14 billion years. I've been here for 48, and I know best. <laughs> like everything that happens right now in this moment is a result of the culmination of all the events that happened before to get to this one moment right here. And I think I know how this moment should be. Now, when I put it that way, it sounds a little crazy. You know, it really does. Like I know best. I promise you that if you put me in charge of everything, life's going to exist for about another 10 minutes and then it's gone. You know, but I still think I know what's best. So I have, that's the kind of relationship that I have with life. What I do is I've created this story in my mind. Somewhere along the way, I don't know when it happened. I don't know if it happened all at once or it was a gradual thing that happened over time, but I didn't like the way I felt. I had this spiritual malady. Something in me is not okay. I treated it with alcohol, and then I get sober and I can't treat it with alcohol anymore. You know, and I try to treat it with other things and it doesn't work as well. You know, and you guys know all those things that we might try to treat our alcoholism with once we get sober. Mm. So this spiritual malady that I have, somewhere along the way, I gave my mind a job. I told my mind, I need for you to arrange my life where I don't feel any pain or discomfort or fear. I need for you to handle that for me. And my mind's been working on it ever since, and it's not qualified for that job. My mind's a problem solver. It, 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 it sees a problem right in front of me, and it solves the problem. It's really good at that. It's very creative. Look what Einstein did or these people have done with their minds, you know, with all these things. And that's what the mind is for. But I use the mind to make sure that I don't ever have to experience any discomfort. And I'm constantly thinking about how life should go and the conversation that I'm going to have with somebody who's not even here on how to convince them that I'm right. You guys ever have arguments with people that aren't there, that have no idea you're arguing with them? It's all happening up here. If you verbalized all that stuff, they'd lock you up, Right? I mean, if, 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 if I verbalized everything that I was thinking, it wouldn't be these crazy, bizarre things that would get me in trouble. It would be these constant arguments I'm having with people who are nowhere near me, right? These, these constant cases I'm presenting on why people should see it my way. Yeah, they'd lock me up quick, you know. People would walk away or give me a wide berth, you know. So my mind constantly has this story and it's gathering evidence on how this is right and this should go my way and this is how this thing should be. And that's the relationship that I have. And it's all based on this stuff that I have deep within me that's blocking me. These resentments, fears, character defects. And by the way, um, we don't really take the third step when we take the third step. The thir when we take the third step, that's kind of an introduction. We really take the third step when we take the seventh step. Because now I'm aware of my character defects and the stuff I'm bringing in. When I take the third step here, i got two pages, three pages of a general example of self-will. Then I write inventory. And now I've got a notebook of what it looks like in my life. And then I share it with somebody and I gain all this new awareness. Then I take it to God and I get more awareness. And then I really take that third step. And that's when I'm really saying, okay, God, you can have these character defects. I'm surrendering this stuff and I won't do this anymore if you'll take care of me. And I'm going to trust you with that. 
you know, to really be able to say, okay, I'm going to tell the truth all the time, but God, you're really going to have to take care of me because I need to lie to get through this life. You know, that's a tough one, right? Am I really going to surrender? The, so, you know, that's when we really, really uh, uh, get into that, to what the third step really means. So I've got all this stuff within me that's blocking me. And it's creating all these preferences and all these opinions, right? And, and, and I walk around and it's like I got into the law of attraction for a while. I was reading Emmett Fox and he talks a lot about treating things with scientific prayer. And then I got into other more current stuff on the law of attraction. And then somewhere along the way I realized I'm doing all this to get what I want. And what I want is all messed up. Because it's all based on that stuff inside of me that's blocking me. I don't even know what's best for me. You know, I think I want to have a whole lot of money and a really great relationship that doesn't have any problems and just has a lot of fun and this really, you know, fulfilling career. And I could get those things in my life if I was really able to practice positive thinking and gratitude and all that stuff all the time. And then I might get those things and go, oh, no. What I, I don't want this. How do I get rid of it? You know, And the book talks about how I'm a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world by managing well, by getting what I want. Right? Well, when I first read that and first thought about it, I was like, okay, let's see. What is this saying? I'm a victim of the delusion. I can wrest satisfaction as I only manage. Okay. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. If I get what I want then I'll be okay. Well, duh, that's a delusion? Come on. Everybody knows if you get everything you want, then you'll be okay. I mean, that's what I've been living on my whole life. But then when I really get to looking at that and I kind of break that down, it's like this. It's like, okay, this can go two ways. The first way is I get everything that I want. Then I'm happy for about 10 minutes. And now I want something else, right? Or I don't get what I want and then I can't be happy. That's not, that's not cool because a lot of times I don't get what I want. I don't want to live that way. Is there another way? Is there a way to actually walk through this world and experience everything that comes my way and have gratitude for it? Is that possible? You know, it could it be like watching a movie where I don't just like the happy parts, but I like the drama too. You know, what if I looked at, okay, my daughter just got arrested or something like that. What if I looked at that and went, okay, this is an interesting experience. This is really going to give me an opportunity to learn to rely on God on a whole new level. You know, this is something I can really walk through and just see how I can be of service. You know, is that possible? I think it is. As a matter of fact, I've seen people do that. I've seen people with that kind of attitude. And that's what I want. I want to walk through life grateful for whatever I experience. Not only grateful for what I want and upset about what I don't want. That's what I want to, that's what I want to experience in this life. It's not that these, um, all this stuff is inherently bad. All these preferences and opinions that I have, they just block me from experiencing what God has for me in this moment. And what is it that God has for me in this moment? We're looking at it right here. How do I know this is what God has for me? Because this is what's happening. This is God's will in this moment. You know, and that's what I'm trying to learn to live with and accept. So what I'm doing is actually just... I just have it backwards. I'm just living 
outside in. I'm trying to arrange the world outside of me to deal with an internal condition. And it's just backwards. What God's asking me to do is, is, Chad, don't worry about your external circumstances. Shift your focus to your internal condition. Get with me and let's heal you internally. And then let's see what you experience outside of you. Because until this internal condition is treated, I may deal with this problem, but another problem just like it's going to pop up. Because that's the situation I keep putting myself in. You know, it's like being in an abusive relationship. I may get out of this abusive relationship, but if I don't change, I'm going to get in another one. And by the way, I know that from experience. <laughs> and and no, don't, don't, I'm no victim. I've been the abuser too, you know, so it goes both ways. So I need to treat this internal condition. And really, what I like to think of it is, is it's like God saying, Chad, look, man, let's just get you free on the inside, free of the fear, the resentment, the self-pity, the old ideas, the character defects. Let's get you free of that stuff and let me deal with everything outside of you. It's above your pay grade. I got you, brother. You know, we'll take care of it. And that's what I'm trying to get through, through, this, through this, uh, this process. So over on page 62... It says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And, and, and I, we used to say problem. We'd always say that's the root of the problem. Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of the problem. And I was reading this one time and I'm like, but it doesn't say problem. It says troubles. Is there a difference? So I look up the word trouble in the old dictionary and it says mental agitation, stress, or worry. Okay, so my troubles, that's, or the stuff that causes that. So my trouble, that's my stress. That's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm agitated about. That's that's what that is, right? So what causes that? What selfishness and self-centeredness causes that? That's why I'm stressed out. That's why I'm in collision. Because I'm selfishly trying to arrange life to suit me. Because I'm running the show. I'm playing God. And, And what happens is things don't go my way. Or they're not going my way. It's not working out the way I want it to. Over here it says what usually happens. The show doesn't come off very well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me right. You know what I do then? I try harder, man. I try harder. I become still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. So it's not working and I'm stressed out. I end up in this state and I call this the cycle of self-will. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Driven means that if, I, if something's driving me, it means I'm not deciding where I go. You know, when I first had the, the realization on what this means, I was driving this little Hyundai around Austin to all these different places. I worked in the, on the north side of Austin. And I went to meetings on the south side. And I was driving to all these little halfway houses trying to meet all these newcomers and, you know, trying to rack up as many sponsees as I could. So when Katie said, how many guys are you sponsoring? I could say, 20. You know, no ego involved in that. But what I realized when I was reading this is that little Hyundai goes all over the place. A little Hyundai accent, a little five-speed, you know. Looked looked like a, a, what did Charlie call it? The escape pod. He called it the escape pod. So I'd be driving that thing around. I realized that that car never decided where it was going to go. It went all around, but it never made a decision on where it was going. I drove it. I made the decision. And that's what this means. I'm driven. I'm not making any decisions. I'm driven by this stuff inside of me. 
That's blocked. This blocked energy that's blocking the God consciousness. I'm driven by this stuff. So what does this look like? I'm, I'm driven by fear. I have fear driving me. It's fear making my decisions for me. For instance, and I'll give you an example because it's, it's not always bad. I'm a high school teacher. I haven't taught in a couple years now, but I've spent about 15 years as a high school teacher. And I was convinced for a long time that I became a teacher because I wanted to help the kids. You know? But then I started to realize something in, later in sobriety. I realized that I'm one of those guys. Some of us in AA go out and create all kinds of crazy things. You know, and we make a ton of money and start businesses and do all this stuff. My sponsor's like that. He does all these things. He's constantly... And then some of us have a hard time fulfilling our potential, right? And I'm one of those. And I was looking at this one, and I realized years later that when I made the decision to be a teacher, I went back to school in early sobriety and got my degree. And, the, and when I made the decision to be a teacher, a lot of what went into that decision was... I'll be guaranteed a job because I'm going to be a math teacher. Everybody needs a math teacher. I'll be, I can be guaranteed a job wherever I go. I'm pretty good at math. I know I can do this. Um, I'll make enough money to pay. I won't get rich, but I'll make enough money to pay my bills. I'll have plenty of time off. Well, guess what? There's a lot of fear in that decision. Like, where was this, what can I do to fulfill my potential? What can I do to make the world a better place? What am I passionate about? There was none of that. It was the safe route. Now, is that wrong or bad? No, it's not at all. I've gotten to work with a lot of teenagers along the way and had a really cool job where I got to work with at-risk kids and help a lot of people, right? And also want to choke a lot of teenagers. I've written inventory on many 15-year-olds. But I got to do, do a lot of good through that process, but I got to also got to wake up to what drives me, right? And fear. There was a lot of fear that drove that decision, you know? So it's just interesting to wake up to that stuff. So we're driven by fear. Self-delusion. Well, then there's the self, here's the delusion. If I can make this happen, then what I'm afraid of won't happen. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? I'm, I'm driven by this self-delusion. I've got to arrange it to go this way so that I'll be okay. So then the self-seeking. So now I go out and I, I do what it takes to, to make those arrangements. And then there's the self-pity because guess what? Once again, it didn't work. Either I didn't get what I wanted, it didn't go my way, or I got it. And 10 minutes later, I need something else. I'm still not okay because I haven't treated that internal condition yet. And that's where I live, in that cycle of self-will. And what happens? I step on some toes and people retaliate and I'm in collision. And when I step on your toes, I didn't mean to step on your toes. I was just doing what I got to do to get what I need to be okay. And in the process, you're collateral. I'm not, I'm not going to go make amends and go, bro, you were just collateral damage. <laughs> I'm not making amends that way. But the truth is, most of the people that I hurt were collateral damage. I didn't go out to hurt most of them, but I did hurt them, and they don't care why. You know, I still have to take full responsibility for what I did. Don't hear that wrong. But in most cases, man, I'm just trying to do what I got to do so that I'll be okay. You know, I didn't steal grandma's furniture and sell it while she was recovering from a stroke in the nursing home because I didn't like grandma. I really needed the money, you know. 
And I wish I could tell you that went away when I got sober. I didn't steal grandma's furniture anymore after I got sober, but I've damn sure stepped on some toes. So that's where we end up with this inventory to write is based on this cycle of self-will and living in this place where we're stepping on toes because we're driven. So it goes on down here to say that these troubles we think are basically of our own making. And, and I have this idea that this stuff, all these, these things in life that are causing me all this stress are coming at me. And what I'm starting to find out here and what I'm going to find out more and more in this inventory process is they're not coming at me, they're coming from me. How many times have you guys gone in with a really hardcore resentment and written the inventory and read it to a sponsor and taken it to God and realized what is really going on is you owe amends? You know, and that's when I start to realize that son of a bitch, I've been the problem all along. You know, it wasn't them at all. And that's the beauty of this program. And then I can make those amends and repair that relationship. So um, Mark talked about this being the biggest promise in the book. Our troubles we think are basically of our own making. Because if my troubles are of your making and your making, and you're, I've got to change you for me to be okay. But if my troubles are of my making, now I've got a piece of business with God. And we can heal through this. You know. Okay, so how important is this stuff? I love this line back here in Bill's story. Bill says, Ebby told him, you know, Bill's in the hospital and Ebby's kind of working the steps with him here. And, how did this happen? And, uh, and, and Ebby says, Bill, check this out. When you do these things, I promise, here's what's going to happen. You're going to enter upon a new relationship with your Creator and you're going to have the elements of a way of living which solve all your problems. I came in with a lot of problems, and I've had many more problems than sobriety. Am I, anybody, am I in the right room? Anybody else have that? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so if you're telling me that, that there's a way of living here that will answer all these problems, I'm in. I'm in. I, that's what I need, right? But then over on the next page, he says it's simple but not easy. There's a price that's got to be paid. What is that price to be paid? It meant destruction of self-centeredness. Destruction of self-centeredness. Man, Bill hits on this early in the book. And then over here on page 62, this is my favorite line in the book. It says, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. What selfishness? This, what we've just been talking about on pages 60, 61, and 62. We must be rid of this selfishness. And it goes on to talk about being entirely rid of self. I looked up the word rid. That's not, I'm a big book nerd. I got a 1936 dictionary and I like to look up these words. And the word rid had two definitions when I looked it up. The first one said to eradicate. But the second one said to get free of. That makes a lot more sense in, in what this is saying here, right? How can I get free of this selfishness? That's what it's saying here. But it says above everything we must be rid of this selfishness. Charlie tricked me. When he was reading, he came over and we did the third step together and he was reading this to me and he said, above everything, we alcoholics must stop drinking vodka. That's not what it says. He goes, I was making sure you were paying attention. But it gets more interesting than that. Because we all know that. We all know that's not above everything, right? We know that, that liquor is just a symptom. But if I were to go quiz people in AA, people who are really doing AA, people that know this book, and I, would, and I said, what's, Steve, what's the most important thing an alcoholic must do? I think most of them would say, well, he's got to have a spiritual awakening or he's got to develop a relationship with God. But that's not what the book says. The book says above everything, I must be rid of this selfishness. What? Be rid of this selfishness? I know I'm selfish and I know the book talks about it, but you're telling me that's number one? That's the most important thing? 
Well, yeah, it is because that's what's blocking me from that spiritual awakening. So what gets interesting about this is this, this program, these steps are not about doing anything. They're about undoing everything. They're about undoing what's blocking me from God consciousness. See, what I found out here is that my natural state as a human, as a child of God, is one of God consciousness. That's my natural state. But I'm blocked. And I've been blocked for so long that I don't know any different. And I can go right back to being that blocked. I was there a year ago, as a matter of fact. I was involved in some dishonest behavior. I was still working a program, but I was doing some stuff that I knew wasn't right. And to make sure that I could continue doing it, I wasn't telling anybody about it. Right? And then my first sponsor said to me one time, I was like, dude, I've been doing this and I didn't tell you. Because I didn't want you to you know, try to get me to stop doing it. And he goes, okay, so you're doing something that's making mis- you miserable and you're not telling me so that you can continue to be miserable? And I'm like, exactly. Yes. Well, I was doing it again. You know, at this time last year, I've been doing it for about a year. And it hadn't been long enough for me to tell you what it is. <laughs> so so, uh, so I'm, doing, I'm doing this behavior, and, uh, and, and I'm still meditating in the morning. I'm still saying my prayers. I'm still writing a review. I'm still, um, uh, you know, talking to Charlie about everything except what I really needed to talk to him about. I'm still sponsoring guys. And every now and then I'll have that call with a sponsee who's doing something shady and dishonest, and I'll lecture him about the importance of honesty. And the whole time I'm thinking, you lousy hypocrite. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm blocked. I'm back to that place where I'm blocked. But I'm that really confusing kind of blocked because everybody else thinks I'm this really active AA member. And I'm believing it too. And I'm believing I'm spiritual. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm completely blocked because of that one thing. And maybe you're blocked right now. I don't know. You know, maybe it's not something you're keeping secret. Maybe you just hadn't finished those amends yet. You know, they're sitting in the drawer. Or, you know, maybe you just slacked on those disciplines and you're not in 10 and 11 really anymore. Maybe you've done this and you're not sponsoring anybody, you know, or using your sponsor or whatever, you know. Because what I found, the more I go kind of go around AA, is there are a lot of us who are sober and who look like AA members and act like AA members in the meetings, but then come to find out there's something going on out there that's causing us to live in untreated alcoholism blocked from this power that saved our lives. And we're living on an experience we had years ago. And it's so common. It's so common. And if you're there, don't feel like you're unique. You ever been through that, Bill? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a very common thing. Get with somebody, man. Get in this book. Get honest and do whatever, whatever this book says. I don't know how I got on that soapbox, but... The idea here is, um, is, is to get back into this flow. And I think of it like this, you know, this idea of undoing. If you've got a river, a river flowing beautifully, and then it kind of goes around this corner and it's got a bunch of rapids and eddies. And, well, if you want to get the flow back to smooth, you don't have to do anything to the river. You just got to get the rocks out of the way, right? And the river flows smoothly. And that's like this flow of energy that's supposed to be moving through my heart in my mind and all around my body, you know, those of us that are a little more out there when it comes to spirituality, we're talking about like your aura, you know, it can be closed down or it can be wide open, you know, and how is it? It's that flow of God consciousness, but it's blocked by that stuff that I've been talking about, my stuff that's trying to keep me protected, that blocks me from you and blocks me from God and blocks me from this experience. So we're trying to get back into that natural flow by undoing what's blocking me. 
That's why back here on page 44 it says, it says we have two alternatives, die an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis. It's not easy for us to face. What? What do you mean it's not easy to face? I'm giving you two, two options here. Die an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis and you're thinking about it? Really? Well, there's a reason for that. The first time somebody explained that line to me, they said, well, Chad, here's the thing. Living on a spiritual basis... We don't really know anything about that, so we're afraid of the unknown. So we have a hard time. I'm, like, eh. I'm afraid of the unknown, but I'm not that afraid of it. And then that's when it hit me. It's not that I don't want to live on a spiritual basis because I don't know what it looks like. It's that I don't want to live on a spiritual basis because I do know what it looks like. It's not reading the meditation book and saying a prayer every morning and going to a weekly service or a weekly meeting. That's not spirituality. Spirituality is letting all that stuff within us come up and getting free of it. It's shining a light on the darkness. It's making all those amends. It's getting really honest with somebody about everything. It's putting ourselves out there and being of service. It's about quickly admitting I'm wrong when you might even be more wrong than me. You know, To go make amends to you when you've done me more harm than I've done you, that's tough. It's damn sure tough with double-digit sobriety. Because now I'm somebody. You know, in the beginning, first time around, I was like, yeah, I can do it. I'm so humble. Now, I've, you know, I've just gone through these teenage years of sobriety, as Katie calls them, where I know better than everybody. And to humble myself before my sweet girlfriend who has just said some really mean things to me and to own my, my part of that deal and, and to take responsibility for my actions really is hard to get past the pride on that, you know? Am I really willing to do that every freaking day? That's what it looks like to live on a spiritual basis, you know, to really do that stuff. So we try to create a third alternative that says I'm normal and I don't have to do that. And that's when we end up picking up that chip again, you know, that desire chip, or that's when we end up buried up in untreated alcoholism, asking somebody for help and having to spend four or five hours with them explaining what our lives look like today because nobody knows, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it talks about making a decision here. And this is a decision. This is on the bottom of page 62. It says, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God's going to be the director. I'm going to quit playing God. That's the decision. I'm going to quit trying to run the show. I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm just going to clean up my end of the deal. I'm just going to do my little job. I'm just going to help somebody. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to put the rest of it in God's hands. Okay? I'm making that decision. Now, guess what? I can't do that on my own, though. Just like I'm powerless over the drink, I'm also powerless over self-centeredness. I mean, it says it right here. Let me sit up straight, Bill, so I can read this. I don't need your glasses. It says, There often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self with his aid. It says, God makes it possible. It says we had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we couldn't live up to them even though we would have liked to. We couldn't even reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying our own power. We had to have God's help. And the important thing to me to read here is that God makes it possible. He doesn't do it for us. He makes it possible. Guess what He did? He gave me some steps. And He's going to be right there with me walking me through these steps. But i got to take these actions if I really want to get free of this stuff. So... I think it's important that we do tell people, yes, you got to be honest and you got to have courage and you got to practice acceptance in your life. That's important. But it's also important for us to say, but you don't have the power to do that. You're going to have to write the inventory. 
you're going to have to talk to your sponsor and get honest. You're going to have to clean this stuff up. You're going to have to have a regular prayer and meditation practice. You're going to have to get out of your own mess and start helping people if you want to experience these things, right, that we want to experience. Because without that, it's just moral and philosophical convictions that we can't live up to. So that's the decision that we're trying to make here. We make a deal with God. God, here's the deal. You give me what I need, and I'll stay close to you and do your work. That's the deal. God's offering that all along. I'm just standing in the way of it because I'm interested in how I think life should go, not the life that God's presenting to me. Right? So if I shift my focus away from how I think life should be and put my focus on staying close to God through inventory, amends, prayer and meditation, getting out there and being of service, then I put myself in a position to receive everything it is that I need from God. Now, when I first read this, I thought, okay, everything I need, cool. I'm going to you know, have those things that I... Well, I didn't know that what I need may be a real serious problem for me to grow through to move to the next phase of spiritual development. I didn't know that part. I'm glad somebody didn't tell me that part. I hope I didn't ruin it for you because I might not have done it, you know? It's kind of like the old pray for patience and you end up with this knucklehead right here in your life and you're like, oh, i got to practice patience now. It's kind of that kind of thing. God gives me what I need to move to the next level. And am I going to accept this as what I need to move to or am I going to look at this as a problem where I'm the victim and I'm being mistreated? It's my choice on how I want to look at whatever comes my way. And guys, I am so far from perfect at this. Something doesn't go my way. My first reaction is not usually, oh good, I can use this to grow to the next phase of spiritual development. But thankfully, we have a program in place that can get me there. To get me to that place where I can look at this differently. You know. So then we move into this prayer. And it's a commitment. And uh, let's see, do I have time to tell this quick story? So... So this commitment, this third step prayer, that's the way I look at this. It's a commitment to follow through with this decision. I'm making a commitment here. Now I know what it means to turn my will and my life over to God. It means I'm giving up these character defects and this attempt to run the show, and I'm just going to live in God's world and develop a relationship with life as it is, not the way I want it to be, right? That's the commitment that I'm trying to make. So I did some therapy. I'm not all that proud of it. You know, country boy. And uh, I don't sit around with my dad and my brother and other country boys and say, yeah, when I was in therapy, you know, we don't talk like that. <laughs> but I did some, and I was meeting with this therapist. We met three times in the summer when I was teaching. And, um, and then she said, okay, Chad, we can do some work here. There's some good stuff we can accomplish. And, and I, I want to throw this in there, too. I did this therapy for two years, and I did it in addition to an AA program, not instead of. It was a part of my AA program and everything I learned in therapy. I took to my sponsor and I wrote the inventory and I made the amends all along the process. So just throwing that out there for anybody that, that may have an experience with therapy at some point in their recovery. I meet with this therapist three times. She learns all the family history and all the stuff I'm going through. And she says, we can do some stuff here. But what I need you to do is commit to do this work with me. And I said, okay, I, I, I'm cool with that. But here's the problem. The problem is I'm starting back to school next week. And you are in South Austin. I work north of Austin. It's an hour and a half drive. And you are only open three afternoons a week. I mean, it's, it's complicated. I can't, I can't just leave school early every week to come. And she goes, just stop right there. I didn't ask you to explain to me how you're going to do it. I just asked you to make a commitment. It's like, you, 
you're not hearing what I'm saying. She, she's because that's the way I think. I'm a fixer, right? How how are we going to do this? How are we going? Why is this not going to work? To be honest, that's how my mind works. And she's just like Chad, drop it. I'm just asking you to make a commitment. I'm not asking you to figure out how. And that's what's happening right here in this third step prayer. The book is asking me to commit to getting free of self, to stop running the show, to be a man of principle, to do the next right thing and leave the results up to God. Right? That's what they're asking me to do here, to make that commitment. I don't have to know how I'm going to do it yet. But what's involved in this commitment? Well, it's writing inventory. And it's getting honest with somebody. And it's making amends. And it's prayer and meditation practice. And it's being of service. And it's continuing to be teachable and humble and admitting where I'm wrong. And through that process, I'm able to experience things in my life like courage and acceptance and honesty and some of these principles that we throw around so easily in these rooms, right? I'm able to actually start doing some of that stuff naturally because I have that flow of God consciousness and I'm not blocked by all that stuff that's causing me to be so resentful and so afraid all the time. So that's where we're trying to get to and that's all I have on the third step. Thank you. Thanks, man.